I'm Sean Bowers. And I'm George Huffnagel. And this is Jelly Vision's Talking Better. In today's conversation, we're learning how to have better, difficult conversations. Really, anytime I'm feeling like a little bit anxious, I start to feel that flush and I just get bright red and it stays. I think that that's part of the worry of if I bring this up, it could go very poorly. Can you recall a specific conversation you've had here that was of this flavor? If I've had to do a difficult conversation here, like somebody's not pulling their weight or something like that, and I need to adjust our approach or whatever it is, or like I need more from them, that kind of thing. I'm not going into it thinking it's a difficult conversation. I'm going into it thinking like, I don't know how to directly confront somebody and be like, hey, you don't seem to understand that you're not pulling your weight enough. And I do understand that. And I need to get you to understand what I understand in a way that doesn't offend you. And so I guess that is difficult by nature. But I'm going into that in a very like, hey, man, like, let's just chat for a bit. And like, what I'd love to see, it's a lot of ellipses. It's a lot of I'm going to queue up a topic and see if you will complete the sentence on my behalf so I don't have to say it. It's very manipulative in that way where it's like, I think this, you know, that's an interesting approach, but maybe if we just, uh, you know, and then ideally they say, look at a couple other options or something like that. I feel like you're using surgeon tools (laughs) when some people might use a hatchet. Yeah. Oh, well, because I know a hatchet. You don't want to use a hatchet in surgery unless it's like you're trying to open a rib cage. But otherwise... No, I'm just saying you're using a method yeah. that is much more precise and potentially will stave off infection socially. Yes. Rather than just like cleave your way through the conversation to get to the end of like, let's just stick with the surgery. Yeah. Let's say you need to lose an arm. Yeah. You don't oh, want yeah. to lose your arm and other unnecessary organs yeah. or body parts. So you're going to pre-plan the surgery and know what the method is. Yeah. I feel like you're teeing up somebody in a way that is safer yeah. emotionally for everybody and professionally than if you were just to tell somebody to their face they're doing a bad job. Well, and that's like, I think, too, it's kind of specific to a work setting or a friend setting or whatever it is where you know you're going to have to continue living life with that person. Uh, we're all on a space station together and like... If I tell you you're a dipshit, then you're going to, like, go out the airlock and or push me out the airlock or something, and we're all going to be dead in space. What are you concerned about with difficult conversations? Well, I mean, I'd love to know how to just avoid the need to have difficult conversations at all. Like, what am I doing wrong, or am I doing something wrong that— I have to have difficult conversations or is it the world around me? Is it is it like driving in a car where your your parent always says, like, I'm not worried about you driving the car. I'm worried about the other drivers and are difficult conversations the same way where it's just you're going to get body slammed 360 no matter what in the car of your life with conversations. It's not just unavoidable. I don't know. But what's the best way? Like maybe tactics. Like what's the best way to approach? Mm -hmm. Like should I? If I'm going to have a difficult conversation with somebody, should I be looking them in the eye? Should I, is it more polite to like text somebody or it kind of goes back to modes of communication too. But like, 
Do I chat them? Do I do I warn them? Do I put something on the calendar? Do I go up and spontaneously say, let's rip the Band-Aid off right now and have this chat? So there are three questions to answer here, I think. Yeah. One is, what is a difficult conversation? Yeah. What makes it difficult? Define it. Second question would be, okay, how do we make it less difficult? Yeah. And what are some strategies of easing the pain of those conversations? Ideally, a difficult conversation... We just surgically chop off the word difficult, and it's just a conversation now. How do we get it to just be a conversation? Let's not complicate this. I'll see if anybody's willing to have a difficult conversation with me about this conversation. Oh, yeah. Go in real aggressive with them, too, and be like, we have something to talk about. You've been failing me by not giving me the answers to these questions I need. Just you do your normal, like, real mean George thing that you do, you know? It's a stretch. That classic when I have George to be approach. nice. It takes a lot of energy. Yeah. Better get talking. Talking better is better than talking. It's better than talking. Better not talking. Better talking. Talking better. Talking better. Not talking. Better talking. Talking better. Talking better. Talking better. It's better than talking. Better not talking. I have an opening anecdote from okay. Billy Kolb. I don't know if you know Billy, but Billy is our one of our production managers. Mm-hmm. He has five people reporting to him. And is in charge of, you know, as a manager and acknowledging work done Mm -hmm. by them and other team members for things he works on. So he shared this anecdote where he was sending an email out to the teams about their contributions to a project. And he forgot to include a key contributor. I had known that the person had been involved. I think deep down I knew that. But it had been some time since the project got started where I, it was an oversight on my part. And this person responded almost immediately to let me know that they felt slighted, and rightly so, and that, that they felt they had worked really hard on this, and it felt in a way like I was claiming credit for their work. I, this is one of my great fears in life. This is what, whenever I have to send, this is why I don't like sending out those emails that's like, we finished here, everybody, take a look. And then I want to thank these 90 people because I have, I triple and quadruple check that list of 90 people. I'm like, if anybody touched this thing for a minute, I'm putting your name in this damn email and we'll cover our bases here. But I also think if I was on the other end of that and I wasn't included in a list of 30 names, I would, more so than assuming that somebody was trying to t- take credit for my work, I'd be like, oh, yeah, they probably forgot me in that list of 30 names they were trying to stressfully write. Would you feel a need to follow up? No. Well, if I, I didn't did... acknowledge you in this effort? Oh, in, the, in this podcast? Yeah. That would be tough to do because I'm loud and <laughs> around, you know? All right, we'll come back to Billy. Okay. I know what happened. All right. But uh, you ready for some therapy? Oh, God. Uh, sure. <laughs> this is your problem more than mine. I haven't mine, been but... to therapy in a long time. Yeah. And I'm considering doing it, but yeah, um, me too. I can't believe this guy didn't charge us. This is like a free trial? This is a free... <laughs> this is great. This is the AOL introduction Hell period. Hell yes. Uh, so here you go. I'm David Clow. I'm a marriage and family therapist. Oh, good. Marriage and family. It works perfectly for our situation Who right now. Who more often has difficult conversations than than spouses and yes, family members. That's true. Um, so David uh, works uh, at a place called Skylight Counseling Center in Skokie, Illinois. Okay. They work with couples, families, and the systems they live in. Uh, he says they're systemic thinkers. So the 
their cultural systems, their family systems, the communities they live in. They think a lot about where they are and work on their terms. So, That's interesting. Uh, so you think like the workplace has its own system. So, yeah. you, you know, the things we'll talk about might be different for different companies or different people. Mm-hmm. But um, changing your frame of mind is, is a key part of this. So I think a lot of what we're going to talk about is table setting, setting up conversation. Okay. Because that's really, I think, at the heart of the anxiety people have. But I asked David, what brings people to him exactly? Why are they seeing him? For the most part, what brings people to us is pain. When there's a painful event, the um, likelihood that they're engaged increases, but then over time, it starts to go down. So the sooner we engage the person once they've had some sort of episode that's put them into some sort of pain, whether it's a loss, a divorce, a breakup, a job loss, or some sort of overwhelming anxiety, um, the sooner that we can meet them when they're in that crisis moment, the more likely they are to start to engage in the process. So like Billy sent the email out, got immediate response. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that would be a healthy thing to do if you Mm -hmm. wanted to acknowledge the problem at hand. Engage immediately. Yes. Mm -hmm. But first, like, especially with somebody you don't know, you know, how do you build a rapport with them? So, you know, I asked David, what's your, what's the first meeting like exactly with a patient? My approach at first is to form a rapport, to get to know the person and the the therapy, we do talk therapy, so it's all through talk and language, yet so much also gets transmitted underneath language, you know, beyond uh, words. So somehow when they're with the therapist, hopefully they f- can feel that they're understood and the therapist gets them. You don't want to ambush them in the parking lot mm-hmm. <laughs> as a therapist. Um, but let's bring it back to Jellyvision here. So um, Amelia Estrich is another production manager. She actually works, you know, alongside with Billy. I don't know if they work directly, but they're on the same general team. And so I asked her, what do you do when you first meet somebody new? So like in our first one-on-one, I ask a bunch of nosy questions of like, how do you prefer to receive praise? How do you prefer to receive, um, you know, negative feedback? What's your favorite treat? (laughs) You know, like all of these baseline things that kind of help me know when these issues spring up down the road, how to handle them. What's your favorite treat? I like that question. I would respond well to that question. What's your favorite treat? That's probably something weird like beef with broccoli or something. Is that a treat? I mean, I suppose it could be a treat. Like pizza to me, it could be a treat, I suppose. It's yeah. in, that, in that vein. Well, maybe Skittles. Skittles. Or like Skittles with beef and broccoli. Learning a lot about you. Either way, I'm going to go join her team, I think. That I think, yeah, you're good. not getting Skittles from me. Yeah. It's chocolate or nothing. That's all. Talking better. Better talking. I asked Amelia, you know, what are some signs that you actually need to have this conversation? I think as soon as I'm experiencing kind of like cycling thinking about the problem, as soon as I'm like, ugh, this was really bad, and then I try and think about other things and I come back to the, ugh, this was really bad. If you can't move past it, that's a sign that you got to like address it. Yeah. And... David talks a little bit more about this, too. That sense maybe also of hopelessness, this is impossible, whatever I've tried isn't working, that might signal that a difficult conversation is needed. So what makes it difficult? Knowing me, I assume that if a difficult conversation is happening, it is someone 
having a difficult conversation with me because knowing me, I will have avoided having a difficult conversation with <laughs> anyone else in this world so extremely that there's no way I could have been the generator of this of this thing. So immediately I know, uh-oh, somebody somebody has an issue. You're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's what David has to say about that. Okay. Too. I might have to feel something that I don't want to feel. If the conversation is difficult, I might be caused to look at something within myself or how I show up or how other people are experiencing me in their minds. I might have to take in that data. And that can be very, what we'd call ego dystonic. It doesn't match with our sense of self, which would be ego syntonic. He is putting it in very rigid data robot robotic terms and robotic in a good way because I feel like as a as an internal robot myself I'm like like I I respond to that framing of it a little bit more more so than the like crunchy granola kind of emotional words or verbiage that sometimes is associated with I think especially with like therapy and that kind of thing it seems like he's taking a much more like calculated yeah I think this is the objective analysis here let's go back to Billy what happened after this person reached out to him? After he biffed it. He biffed it, yeah. I would not describe that as a fun conversation to be on the receiving end of. I felt incredibly bad about it. And I apologized profusely. And I thanked that person for their, their feedback, for bringing it to my, to my, for bringing it to my attention um, and not just letting it fall by the wayside. And then pledged to them that I would not let that happen again. And I sent a follow-up email to acknowledge that person's early contributions to the project. I think it's an interesting approach that Billy not only apologized, but thanked the other person. I feel like in that case, the mode of communication, the email feels a little, for some reason, heavier as a, a way of reaching out about that. It feels like it's making the issue more serious I think that's that's an important part too, especially how you choose to communicate your response. Yeah. Like the infraction was done in email. I guess uh, it was set- an organic because it was they were responding via email to an email. Right. So it was like the setting of original communication. And we don't know if this person was working from home. Yeah. Or in the office. But in this case, I think good for both people. That- they both did. It seems like the right thing, right. which is that one was willing to raise their hand, the other was willing to own their mistake. And in doing so, it seems like, barring any weird follow-ups where Billy was then murdered or the employee was then murdered. I just saw him not long ago. He's fine. What about the employee? The other I have employee? no idea who that is. Aye, aye, aye. We have to name names, George. We have to track their safety. The integrity of the show is at stake, Sean. Oh, my gosh. This is journalism. You can't protect your sources. That's Uh-oh. the first rule of journalism. Try me. Talk better. Let's get into what role difficult conversations play. So an issue pops up, why are we having them? What's the point? I would say first, what I'm selling is that we want to go through conflict to get to harmony. So we first want to have this goal, maybe a little bit of hope, that if we have this conflict, the goal is that we're actually going to get to greater harmony, sort of like a muscle when you work out You tear the muscle from lifting the weights, and then when it repairs, it gets stronger. So could we start to trust in a series of tears and repairs that's actually going to make us stronger 
and healthier. And, and then now we're really going to be able to get lift a lot more. And maybe we just in the basics, we start with, I'm going to inquire, I'm going to ask why about the other person. I want to be curious and empathic. I also want to try not to go into my own defenses, if I can try not to get too defended. And we probably should start slow. We could go into the the shallow end of the conversation. So I think slow startups are useful, that we're not going to go right in and take on the, the biggest problem to start. If I can very shoehornedly connect it to uh, this book that I'm reading about business, actually, but uh, The Lean Startup, have you ever heard of that? It, part of it is about like rapid prototyping and stuff like that and, yeah. and how you move quickly. And one of the things is this kind of three-part circle that you are constantly in like a validation loop of build, measure, learn, build, measure, learn, build, measure, learn. And you kind of start with what you want to learn and you figure out how you can measure it and then you figure out what you need to build to get there. And you kind of keep going around that circle as you as you validate. Even the asking why thing made me think of the book because there's a process called the five whys, which is like anytime there's a problem and you're like, I think it's from the like Toyota um, manufacturing model where like anytime there's a problem on the along the supply chain, you ask why and you kind of drill down five times. You're saying like, okay, well. Uh, the whole conveyor belt exploded. Why did it explode? Well, because this piece fell off of this machine at part C. Well, why did the piece fall off the machine at part C? Mm -hmm. Because Dave wasn't at his post. Well, why wasn't Dave at his post? Because he had too much work to do over at his other post. Why did he have to, you know, and you're trying to get down to like the root cause of a problem by asking those five whys. And there's a way that that can go wrong where it can kind of turn into the five blames of like, when you're starting with that, it's very easy to, blame the people who aren't in the room for the cause of the issue, which is why they say, like, you need to have everyone from the person who the issue was reported to all the way up to, like, the CEO or whatever in the room, like, anyone who could be affected or accountable to this issue for these, like, five wise sessions. And it seems like much in the same way with this, where you have an issue with somebody else, if you're ever going to really dig deep and, and get to the root of the problem, you need to have everyone involved, everyone kind of engaged and willing to accept their part if they happen to be one of the whys of the five whys. Yeah, that's good. Pro. That metaphor is ringing. I've never worked at Toyota, though. Well, there's still time. Someday. You know, I'm, I'm talk, talk, a talk, and talk, a talk bitter. How do you, when you're having a difficult conversation, what's happening internally? Uh, <laughs> I probably, uh, most functions of my body have shut down and uh, I'm I'm still making eye contact with you, but my face has gone weirdly still or something because I'm evaluating uh, what how I'm going to respond, basically. Okay. How I'm going to uh, fight back momentarily. But that's, again, because I'm a bad person and my first instinct, I think that's actually the longer the other person keep talking, the better probably because my first instinct will be fight back. And then if I can wait like a minute, Mm -hmm. I'll be like, okay, I get it. I'll rationally respond and I can pull myself together a little bit. This is exactly what David talked about as a key part of that element of it. It's often an emotional regulation issue because the, the emotional part of the brain, the amygdala, the emotional center, when it fires off and it gets aroused and stimulated, it cuts off our access to our prefrontal cortex, the more developed part of our brain, which has 
communication, problem solving, reasoning. So when we're emotional, we literally lose our minds. We can't think clearly. So the the goal of any difficult conversation is to keep the emotion regulated. So to uh, keep that from happening, we want to scale it. Like when am I at a two, a four, a five, a seven? Now I'm at an eight out of ten. Now I'm st- I'm starting to hit a threshold, and I'm probably gonna see red, lose a- access to my prefrontal cortex. I won't be able to think or problem solve or reason. So we need to just call timeout and deescalate. This is like, can you imagine having a difficult conversation with like Wolverine from the X-Men? Because he would just go immediately into his berserker rage and would not be able, his amygdala would be, somebody brings up treats and he just starts going off with claws out. That's why he and Cyclops had so much tension. They did. If Cyclops they just was sat regulated. Down. He was like, Logan, Yeah. What what is the deal? He's a good I know manager. you like Jean, but she's with me, dude. Yeah. Cyclops is a great guy and truly a model for difficult conversations, he's, I think. I'd, Wolverine is not. He's a bad guy. So is Jean. I think. Uh, she's good. She's good at difficult conversations. She's, she's chill. At, at some point, though, maybe you haven't learned that regulation. Yeah. I asked David, what about, what do you do, like, at that point? I promise to come back at exactly this point in the conversation with the same topic. It might feel different. Our process might be different, but we'll, I'll come back right to this point, and I'm going to tell you when that timeout is going to be over. So uh, it keeps people from feeling uh, abandoned. I just need 20 minutes, and I just need to go for a walk. That's like a relationship fight tactic, like a like a spouse fight tactic, where it's like, oh, okay, let's just take a. I'm going to go for a walk or whatever. Like, I feel like that would be a harder tactic to pull out in like a co-worker setting or something like that. I don't know that I would, that seems harder. Yeah, I think then some additional strategies are needed. So like maybe at the end of the day, like 3.34, when people yeah. are getting to go, that if you're leaving in a huff, you can just leave work. Yeah. You get out and that way you don't have to be in the office with each other. It is hard because then you get to the same point as the, do you believe that I'm sorry? You get to that point Yeah. where it's like, what more is that? What else are we going to talk about? I said about the here? word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking better, better, better. Those are the, the warnings. Yeah. Let's build some success. All right. Why not? All right. Often in counseling, there are difficult conversations that do go well. And it often starts with empathy and compassion. It's really understanding what's happening inside of the other person. Okay. So one way to do this is a technique you might have heard of this is the speaker-listener technique. Hmm, Tell me more. Well, let's take a listen from Dave. Okay. So what I hear you say is that when I left all the dishes in the sink that night, even though I was tired— you know, strike that from the record. Sorry. You know, even but even but what I hear you say when I left the dirty dishes in the sink is that you felt like I was just taking you for granted. That's what I heard you say. Now do you feel heard? Yeah, I feel like you heard what I said. Now it doesn't matter if they agree or disagree. It's sort of like I'm hearing you. This is the uh, the parenting tactic too. I think we talked about it on the uh, before. If Ben, my son, trips and falls or whatever, you say, oh, my gosh, you must be feeling so angry because you just tripped and fell or whatever. Like you're just restating the obvious so that everyone can agree to the obvious. Exactly. Yeah. So once the per- you acknowledge what the person is saying, what do you recognize as the next step past that? 
there's some sort of like resolution of the past problem, you know, like, okay, well, I can, I can understand why you did what you did. I understand what I, why I did what I did. My interpretations about you have been changed through this. And then there's some sort of plan or commitment going forward for how we might do it differently the next time we're in that sort of situation. You might still be planning to do this, but I was worried that this the the hook for this episode was going to be that you introduce all these techniques and then you're like, now I'd like to use these techniques because I have something I want to present to you. This is all this is this whole podcast is about. <laughs> this is a self-indulgent, very expensive. Sure. <laughs> this podcast costs thirty eight thousand dollars to produce, right? Per episode. Per episode. Yeah, you worth I, every penny. I'm sorry you're only getting a writing credit. <laughs> you know I'm I'm talking. I'm talking better. Now, what are some things we could take away from a conversation? One major tool would be having information about the other person. So when that other person does something that is bothersome or unusual or problematic, uh, one could then call up that information like, oh, I know she gets like that because of the trauma from her past. I, I understand why she's doing this. So now I'm a little more free to be skillful. And what I really want to try to impart to people in their relationships is what I would call skillful means. How can I call upon a variety of tools in the moment to do different things rather than just be an automatic emotional response machine? It's like how everybody was okay with Don Rickles being uh, so mean as a comedian. Because he'd be like, oh, he's mean. And, you know, offensive, but he's a nice guy. It's just like the shtick. Yeah, I feel like the time and place probably dictates the rule. No, it doesn't excuse it, but, like, I'm working on it. Yeah, like contextualize. Yeah, if the the person's putting an effort in, you want to continue that relationship, Yeah, you know, uh, then it makes a point. Okay, let's go back to the problem of of power. Okay. So this goes back to our Billy and— Yeah, and his—Amelia, they both, you know, have— Reports. So what are some problems with power in this regard? Yeah, that has a whole other layer of challenge when there is differentiation in power and privilege. To be able to speak your voice to somebody who's in power, who has the power to affect your life in dramatic ways, whether firing you or divorcing you or shutting you down, now the stakes are so much higher. And I think for a lot of people, they... The, the choice is to avoid conflict because it really feels safer. The reward to say something is outweighed by the risk of what might happen if this goes poorly. And especially if we have a lot of experience with things going poorly, when we have difficult conversations, we're, we're more apt to say, forget it. The risk is too high. This person really could crush me. I think, uh, what are you saying there? I, I need to quickly and... Oh, obviously state my own damn privilege when it comes to my ability to avoid confrontation, because I think that is kind of weirdly a privilege, which is that uh, I have enough stability that I can, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't have to like stability at work, stability at home, stability, whatever, that I don't have to constantly be like finding ways to confront people to just like live a basic existence or whatever. Right. And David, you know, I asked him, what recourse do we have, though, you know, if we don't, if we are running into some some conflict? 
Uh, hopefully it's built into the system somehow. It, certainly at work, they could talk to HR or a bot or some other manager to like go around it rather than going right to the person. Um, in a relationship, I think that's a struggle um, people have. So going to their own individual therapy sometimes is useful to figure out how to navigate a situation when there's a power imbalance. Um, a lot of what we've talked about today is when there's when there's at least an equal ground in power, but when you're you're one down, it's really a struggle. I think it's incumbent upon people who do hold power and privilege to recognize how difficult it is for others to have difficult conversations with them and try to send signals that you're approachable and to it just if you have one if if your uh, staff sees you handle, one conversation poorly and abuse your power, it's going to shut them all down because then they're all afraid. But if you're modeling that, no, come to me, I, I actually can you know, be in an inquiry with you and are open to your feedback and won't shut down myself or lash out in my create a more healthy environment. Depending on the size of or how many people you have underneath you, that seems like a tough thing to achieve because the higher you get, the more distance you have between you and there's just that chasm between you and everyone, mm -hmm. uh, it seems tough to achieve. But it was an interesting point that, like, therapy is basically HR for couples. Like, <laughs> uh, couples don't have a manager at home who can <laughs> help them resolve their issues or whatever. So you go to the other department who is disconnected from your department because so they can be the, like, third party kind of helping you figure it out. That's a great analogy. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You gotta talk, talk, talk to talking better. So if you are a person who struggles with this, mm -hmm. Billy here talks about himself and what it's like for him. Like as, as he's gotten older, what sort of things does he recognize about himself? I am definitely like by nature someone who would rather smooth things over and like not speak up. I come from a large family. I'm definitely like a mediator type. And it took me a long time to learn how to speak up for myself, assert, you know, for myself, like what I needed or what I wanted, especially if it was going to ruffle feathers or, or maybe upset someone. And I can think of a lot of times through my life where I opted not to say something because it was easier and I could just suck it up and live with it. Um, I'm thinking of particular college roommates, or I could have said at the time, like, this is unacceptable. You're making our living arrangement really difficult. Uh, but you know what? It was only for the year. The stupid thing that that made me think of was, can you imagine how short the movie Borat would have been if more people were just willing to have difficult conversations <laughs> with Borat? Like, everyone's so polite, and he relies on their politeness to to see through the bit. But if somebody would have just been like, Borat, listen, you're being rude at dinner. Like, don't bring a naked guy to a convention or whatever the end of Borat was. But, yeah. So uh, I posed this question, David. Like, yeah. I'm a nervous wreck. What final advice do you have for anybody that would be in a similar position? We have to go through conflict to get to more harmony. Otherwise, you're disconnected from people. To really be closer to others... We need sometimes to have difficult conversations. So in order to get close to people, sometimes you have to change up some of the old routines that aren't working. 
where I see people really struggles when they go years and years without having these conversations. And then it's sort of ossified. And then to have a conversation is such a arduous process because we're having to change so much patterning. It's like the train's going for years in one direction to try to get it to go in the other direction. You have to slow it down, stop it, and turn around. That Don't wait till it's too late to you know have the connection and closeness and sort of relationships you want. And the way to get there is to, to have compassionate confrontations, I think. Compassionate confrontation, Sean. Compassionate confrontations. It sounds like a martial arts method or something, or like a studio you would go to where you just get to punch things, but with someone, you know? Are you holding the bag or things for the person punching? Yeah, maybe. And then so you but, can feel and, their pain. And, but you write on the, it's like a pillow, but you take a Sharpie and you write on the pillow like, the dishes or whatever, and then you punch the pillow and everyone's like, oh. If I was your roommate, I'm going to find out, what would be the the final straw? Uh, that I would break and have a difficult conversation with yeah. you? like what perturbs you the most? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I can I can withstand a lot. You if filthy? It, am I filthy? Yeah. No, I'm not filthy. Okay. I don't know. What about you? What, what uh, would make you kick a roommate out? Just not contributing mm. to the chores. If I feel I'm doing 90%. Um, and they're not doing anything. If they're not bringing, you know, the good humor and yeah. the good times. Yeah. If if they're doing nothing to help the ecosystem. You got they got to bring the party or George kicks them out. I, yeah, I had a disgusting roommate in college, but man, he was a really great person. Yeah. Yeah. I let stuff go because he would he would take me out, show me a good time. Whoa. Get me out of my shell. He uh, he gussied you up and then you. Were... Well, I mean, I dressed myself. Well, sure. You know, I wore my own khakis and tucked in Hawaiian shirts. Oh, that good. Was, you know, that's <laughs> that is that is Magnum PI's outfit. And what you're I met describing. Madeline in college, and she told me quickly that was something I shouldn't do. And good I for her. married her. What a difficult conversation she had to have with you about your wardrobe. But look at where it got you now. And we continue being married today. <laughs> You know what? Today's show might have been about difficult conversations, but one thing that is very easy is thanking all of the people who helped put this episode together. Yes, for sure. Talking Better is hosted and produced by me, George Huffnagel. And me, Sean Bowers. And thank you again to our guest expert, David Clow. And equal thanks to our fellow Jelly people, Amelia Estrich and Billy Kalb for their insights. As always, our theme music was composed by Jason Knox with the mystical throat sounds of Travis Mandrell. And our show was recorded here in sunny Chicago, Illinois at Jelly Vision World Headquarters. Also, as always, if you got something out of the show, send a link to a friend, tell them what we're doing over here, or even simpler, leave us a little star rating or write a quick review. All that stuff helps people find us. We've got two episodes left in our season. It feels like it's going by so quickly, but we will be back uh, exactly one month from today with a chat about compliments that you won't want to miss. I know I cannot take a compliment for the life of me. From all of us here at Talking Better, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. I talk, talk, big and big and big talk. I talk, talk, and big and big and big talking. I talk, talking. I'm talking, big talking. I get better at just talking. Gotta get better. Oh, good, you're still here. Just a quick final disclaimer that while Sean and I and some of the guests on our podcast are employees of Jellyvision, the opinions you hear are all our own opinions and not those of Jellyvision itself. So uh, again, th thanks for coming and hanging in here this long. Just needed to say that at the end.